In this episode of the Granta Podcast, I'll be speaking with Diane Williams, the author of eight books of fiction and founder and editor of the distinguished literary annual New. To start with, Diane will read a story from her latest book, Fine, 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 Fine. Head of the Big Man. The family was blessed with more self-confidence than most of us have and with a great lawn, with arbors and beds of flowers, and with a fountain in the shape of a sun at the south end. It is not our purpose to say anything imprecise about their scheme, how they had gotten on with tufted and fringed furniture with their little tables, a parquet floor, a bean pot. The walls inside of this country house were amber color where they entertained quite formally until the old mansion was destroyed. It was a shapely, shingle-style house with bulbous posts. But what kind of confident people behave poorly by not being confident enough? Let us examine the case. Eldrida Cupid had given birth to four children. Three of these and their father drowned trying to cross the Quesnel River in a boat. She later married Mr. Cupid and had many more children. Imp, as she was known, was famous for her fresh peach sour cream pie, her steak shortcake, and more significantly for her elan. People often saw her husband blade on the street, and he was not only polite, but he invited many personally to his home to hear about his rough riding days and his numerous good works. In her later years, Mrs. Cupid dressed slowly for dinner and did not intend nor want to see anyone except for her husband at dinner. Frequently, her husband left the table before she arrived and then edged himself up the back stairs. He began to drink and lost all of his money after his wife died. Often, as in this tale, a downpour with thunder and lightning is sufficiently full-bodied to get somebody's whole attention. In one such storm, Mr. Cupid had a vision of his wife. Her clothing was not exactly cut to fit, and she showed no sign of affection. Well, act like you're not going up a hill, his wife said, but you're still going to go up it. For a while after their deaths, their residence was open to tourists who were apt to get exhausted touring it. The diamond-shaped hall placed in the center. Its dimensions and spaciousness were rooted, were grounded as if the hall was growing as an ample area. It was finished in mahogany. The dominant message here being, looks like one of you splurged. None of this would have been possible without the involvement of morally strong, intelligent people who were then spent, young farmers and rural characters, obstetrical nurses, scholars, clergy, all the rest will have their great hopes realized more often than not unless I decide to tell their story. I really enjoyed um, the great scope you're able to get into a kind of short story, and it kind of starts out with just a scene and feels like a kind of life in miniature. When I first began to write stories, I literally didn't have much time to do it in. I mm. had 
small children and lots of commitments and not much time to do my work, but I would try to come to terms with the notion that within an hour, within two hours, I could write something that I would call important. I had ambitions to do something grand. I mean, that's always my ambition. And of course, one doesn't always accomplish that, but there's the fiction, really, for, for myself that it could be done in a few hours. That gives me the incentive to try, and that's fantasy. It so rarely happens, but that's the object. So a story that on the page may only be a, um, you know, 300 words might take me a year to write, mm. but there's the illusion as I begin it maybe it'll take an hour because really it's not so many words and I have you know <laughs> this impossible challenge. I'm really not interested in doing this work unless I have that goad which is this will be my masterpiece or this will be when I understand X which I've never understood before or when I get a glimpse past some horizon that I've never, you know, ne never stepped past. It's quite a unique, almost, genre of your own. Someone called it microfiction. Yeah. Does that sound right to you? I mean, how do you kind of... It's not, it's not anything new, mm. certainly. Fable-like short mm -hmm. works have been in existence since people yeah. started writing. So um, it's certainly not a new form. So it's always seemed kind of beside the point when, to me, when people try to as ascribe a genre to it or call it something, it seems. It's not a discussion I've ever been interested in. So when you started writing, was this the style you started in? Or at an earlier point, did you try writing in more conventional ways? Or? It's always been the best I could do, frankly, to try to keep control of a novel-length work, I think, is beyond my capacity. I marvel at those people who can do it. I was told by a, a teacher, you must extend your vision. Well, this is interesting, but you must learn to extend your vision. So I did certainly try, but I didn't succeed. So, so I thought, well, if I can only produce X number of words, that have coherence and body and give me some sense of durability. I just have to do that and do it doggedly. I think I've said many times before that the welcome was not resounding. They said if you would only call these prose poems, mm. then we could um, credit you. But if you insist on calling them stories, I guess that's another reason I have such hostility toward the idea of a, a genre. Mm -hmm. I mean, something is either meaningful, interesting, or um, has merit or it doesn't. And what you call it is, I, 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 I couldn't care less. Your stories do feel condensed, and even when there are these lines of dialogue or phrases that we feel kind of are familiar, things you've heard before, that there's a sense that it's just always moving you along from one image to another and mm -hmm. in a way that is quite different to the novel or longer form. 
wanted to I want to ask um are you are you interested in visual art or music or other absolutely music visual yeah. arts and that's part of the great fun of doing noon is that I can include painters and sculptors yeah. uh, and also I in the evenings I'm often doing um, stitching oh, really? so I'm making compositions with thread yeah colorful thread I can have fun whereas I usually can't have fun writing it's more of a it's, it's work <laughs> so is it quilting or embroidery? No, I'm, I'm literally just using thread and sewing shapes into a piece of cloth. It's the one place in my life where I feel anything can go, because otherwise all day long it's uh, there's a vigilance mm -hmm. that I'm sure all of us feel about what we're saying, what we're doing, and how we account for ourselves. I really like how you focus on different almost senses and for example you might have in, in one scene someone purchasing a chicken kev and in the next scene there's a classic jazz song playing in the background and then in the next scene there's a kind of emotional moment and then there's something almost painterly about it in the way that layers come on one after the other and, and different kind of textures or, or colors come in. Mm -hmm. You said you're quite vigilant with your work, is that something you're very careful to engineer? Is it something that comes out as, as you write? Or? Engineer is a, good, is a good word. There are tactics that I use in my own writing and also when I'm editing, where the order of words, the order of sentences, the order of paragraphs is something that's always being changed. Everything has to be tested out. In my own compositions, I'll make a s sketch of a, of a story. There'll be, you know, paragraph one, two, three, four, and it'll all look very orderly. But when I review it, the last sentence may be the first, or the middle paragraph may become the first, or the first paragraph may become the last, or if I'm looking at a sentence, the same with words. I'll, I'll be moving them around. When things get moved, of course, the sound relations between words are change. The connections are very important, obviously. Sound connections, content connections, dramatic connections. When I'm working, these are all in flux. But every time I make a change, it's for dramatic effect, and it's you know to keep this, to try to create some sense of something living. Whatever the original sketch is, is unlikely to be what comes out at the end. What makes it interesting for me is when there are novel connections. And when I'm editing, I'll do the same thing. Frequently, somebody's last paragraph will end up becoming their first. I, I think I'm, a, I, I, if I had to describe myself, I, I do feel I'm more of an editor than a writer. Even the way you're describing your own process, you kind of create a framework of something and then you tweak, tweak it. Yes. Work on it until yes, you... Yes, yes, yes. Because if I were to write as I have a fantasy that, that some could do, mm -hmm. just have my hand carry the day on the page with the pencil or pen, I think what would 
I would write was everything I already know, which would, would be of no interest to me. So it's a kind of process of discovery. Yeah, you? so flipping things around yeah. and moving things, sometimes in desperation, creates accidents that create revelation. You're kind of extending the vision, as you said. Right, so I couldn't yeah. do it by creating length or more words, but I would hope I could do it by going deeper. Could you tell me a little bit more about Noon and how that came, came to be? It's, it's a big surprise to me, Noon. A big surprise that this ever happened. Many years ago, when I was living in Illinois and I was a young woman, I met people who were editors for a journal called Story Quarterly, which had a very good reputation in the day. That was changing hands. I had happened to be friends with the writers who were working on it, and I began working as an editor. And then when I came to New York City, this is what I can't explain, that I had to begin another magazine. And the quarterly at that time, Gordon Lish's quarterly, which I, I was published in, and all the writers I really cared about at that time, my contemporaries were writing in. Anyway, it, this was a group of people I cared about, a group of writers, and we were no longer going to have quarterly, and uh, I thought of noon as being a way to, for us to pr protect one another and stay in print, and... Uh, it seems you've had a few kind of collaborators or people who... Well, Christine Scott, she was a great support. She's a writer who I revere and uh, has become my great friend as well. I know when, when I first started to publish, there was the feeling that some editors would only accept you if you had published in sort of brand name publications or had the backing of a large publishing house or had been confirmed by certain uh, gatekeepers. And of course, that's very discouraging. And so for me to discover people who have never been published before or maybe living in obscure places. I'm very happy about that because for, for so many artists, um, it's a closed world. And that's sort of heartbreaking. Well, would you like to read something from Noon, something that you would recommend? Uh, I've spoken about Christine here. Christine Scott, so I would like to read a short work of hers. The Dot Sisters. In the windy city, they sway on a bridge and let the wind get under their dresses. Claire and Julia, happy, let them be happy. They have suffered. Their father abandoned them years ago. Their mother rages past, shrill ghost. She's noisy, their mother. Swipe her away. Stay with the girls on the bridge in the high wind in the summer of 1970. How colorful they appear against people in gray passing, people in tan. The sisters wear matching dot dresses, green ground for Claire, for Julia Brown. The river beneath them is tan, not brown. And the sky overhead is true blue. Probably they have been happy together before, but Julia is often melancholy and Claire is pessimistic. So it has been a long time since, or never, never. 
Don't be ridiculous, Julia says. They are simply happier than they have been in a long, long time. They've sold the house. The estate is settled. They think they will not come back. They should pack tonight, take the train tomorrow. The Palmetto sounds breezy, travel to the Carolinas, to a tall white inn, tippy as a cake with balconies, shutters, netting and flutter, where crystal chandeliers bejewel every room, and on the bedside table a swan carafe of water on the pillow chocolates foiled. Let them be comforted, please. Let them sleep, not in every dream, unpacked, undressed, shamed. Enough with the nakedness and shit and sick pets, sick in corners. Well, maybe we should uh, maybe we should end there. So okay. Thank you for for talking to, to us today. It's been my pleasure. Thank you very much.